Hey, and welcome back to the Young Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Kenzie Aaron of Aaron Iron and Steel. Let's get right into it. It is the first show that I'm recording in the new year. Um, it's been actually quite a while since I recorded. I did like two episodes in two days a couple weeks ago, and then I missed a week. Sorry about that. And so now three weeks later and two episodes later, we're back. I'm recording again on a new mic in a new year with a not-so-new guest. Uh, you guys never heard Liam Penn, but we did an episode before. The mic quality didn't check out, but he's back now with a vengeance and a new mic. And so I'm pleased to introduce to you guys for real this time, Liam Penn. Hey, hey. So, Liam, I've heard your backstory, um, and it was great, but I'm hoping that maybe you could share it with our our lovely viewers. Just tell us, you know, where you came from, how you got to to where you are today, and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So, uh, my name is Liam Penn. I'm a 17-year-old bladesmith from Juneau, Alaska. Uh, I've been making knives for, what, this is my third year, I think. Um, I, when I started out, my friend Finn Morley and his dad Steve, um, they are knife makers, and they one day asked me if I wanted to come learn how to make a knife. So... Of course, I was interested, and I spent some time with them uh, making a knife, and that was just awesome. I totally got hooked. I loved it, totally obsessed, you know, Um, and from there, it's just continued on. I've, you know, set up my own shop, got my tools, and started making knives on my own um, until today, I guess. Awesome. And that's just how it goes. I mean, you you try it once and that's it. The rest is history. So you are you're one of my favorite young makers. um, Thank you. Just because you have such a distinct style and you're doing stuff that a lot of other people aren't doing. Um, But you're also a really prolific knife maker. I mean, you make a lot like you're very productive. Yeah, I so. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I just I guess I just you know, I really like making knives. It's kind of my, you know, it's an addiction, I guess. So yeah, the more time I can spend in the shop, the better. It's my happy place. Oh yeah. That's how I feel about it too. But most young makers I see aren't pushing out the numbers that you are. So do you want to let us know? I mean, with all that production, what's been going on in the shop this week? Yeah. Uh, recently, um, well, winter break just ended. So school's back up and you know, going again. So I haven't had all that much time. Um, but what I have been working on is I just finished up a kind of like a fantasy fighting knife that had like, it was kind of inspired by Jason Knight's elemental knife where it's fully forged to, um, everything. Mine was forged fully to profile, fully to geometry the only grinding I did on it was um, like flattening the flattening the tang and sharpening it, and I did like a little lanyard hole at the back that I had to file in. But other than that, it was all forged to shape, and that was a whole lot of fun. And the sheath had some really cool carvings on it with like I don't know some kind of like monster thing on it, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, I've also been working on this a collaboration knife that. I have, and this thing has been 
super frustrating. Like today I've been in a bad mood. The first set of scales I did, uh, I broke actually. I broke the front of one of the scales off, which like that oh. almost never happens to me. I almost never break scales, but I broke this one. And then I was going to put like a, like cut both the scales off at an angle and put on some G10 for like a bolster. But uh, the scales just kind of kept chipping and there's just problems. So I had to scrap those. They're just a little too brittle. I mean, what type of wood was it? It was stabilized like maple burl. It was super pretty, like an absolutely insane piece. It was just crushing for it to to break. Yeah. I guess burl, though, is sometimes unpredictable. Yeah, definitely. And then what I tried to do today is I tried to do some, I think it's stabilized like redwood burl. Um, And I was going to do also black G10 bolster with that because it just wasn't long enough to go on the handle. Um, But I was drilling like the last hole on one of the sides and it just cracked. Like I wasn't putting too much pressure on it or anything. The bit was, I think it was sharp anyways, but it just broke. So I think I'm going to bench right. this project for like next weekend when I've got a clear head. Um, yes. Step back so you don't throw the blade at something. Right, definitely. Like, I mean, if I've already had to scrap two sets of scales, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not getting anywhere near another set of scales until I have a clear mind. Because, yeah. I mean, you know. Like, really nice scales. They're not cheap. And I can't... Yeah, I really don't want to keep messing them up. No, I mean... Yeah, I stopped using fancy wood a while ago when I kept scrapping handles, and I've been using cheap stuff ever since. Well, not cheap, but just, you know, straight-grained wood. Right. But, actually, I'm getting into some fancy stuff. This past week, I've been... um, well, I've got, I found a little scrap of Damascus that had a couple of D lambs in it, and it was actually just a really small piece that I couldn't really make a knife out of. So I cut it in half, uh, slapped it on either side of a piece of 1084, and drew out a little 5 inch kind of kitchen prep pairing petty knife, you know, somewhere in that realm. And I just etched that today, and that turned out awesome. And then I got another knife heat treated. I finished up a seven inch kitchen knife with a really simple um cherry wood handle like i recently finished up a custom order with a hamon and a tiger wood handle like i've i've been productive lately i waited like two weeks or three weeks or something for belts to come in and then now i'm just going crazy uh it's still online school so i've had some time but tomorrow is my first day back in actual school so I'm excited about that. I'm kind of oh, sick of cool. online school. Um, what we're doing is, uh, right now, we're online. But starting Tuesday, there isn't going to be an option to go in. Uh, I'm not going to go in. I'm just going to keep doing the online thing. But, yeah, our schools here are going to let people go in starting Tuesday. Oh, yeah. I really how don't know how it's going to work. Where, like, a teacher is trying to teach both people on the computer and people in person at the same time oh that's gonna be kind of weird sorry what was that it's one class uh like there's not like an online and a home class that are separate well what i'm doing is what we've been doing is just the teachers are teaching you know over zoom and 
stuff, but now with people in class and at home, they're going to be teaching to both at the same time. I think that's going to be pretty weird. Really? That's crazy. Yeah. That's really weird. Yeah, totally. No, like, I mean, they gave us the option. Our year is set up in quarters, and each quarter you can choose if you want to come to school or stay home. But, you know, the teacher doesn't have to teach both groups at once. There's a teacher for the home school and the teacher for the school school. Hmm. That's an interesting way of doing it. Oh, I think yours is the interesting way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, I guess it's all interesting. I mean, yeah. This whole they thing had to do it like this before. It's, yeah, it's all interesting. Yeah. Totally. But no, I'm excited. I have uh, gym class all afternoon, so I'm just excited to go and play basketball for like two and a half hours. You know. Oh it's, yeah, nice. It's pretty sweet. And that's why I've I've missed. But online, all my afternoon has been open basically. I just need because my my gym teacher said that blacksmithing counts as physical activity. Oh, really? So I just write that in, and I just go work all afternoon, which has been awesome. Oh, that's awesome. So, yeah, that's why I've just I've just had lots of time to work, um, and I've got lots of stuff going on lately. I've got lots of work. I mounted my leg vise. I had to forge a spring for that, which was a new experience. Turned out really great, though. Now that's my favorite vise in the shop by far. Sweet. And, I really need a leg vise. Right, oh, awesome. right now I've got a big... Oh, relatively big anyways. Um, bench vice. One of the ones where, like, the whole head swivels around. Ooh. Um, it's great for, like, filing and cutting and stuff. But it's not good for forging, right? Because, I mean, it's yeah. really not meant to be hammered on. And it's got a whole lot of slop because, you know, I have been, you know, hammering on it. But I yeah, just really need a leg vice. Well, the beaut- my favorite thing about the leg vise is that the the screw inside is so coarse that, like, yeah. it moves fast, you yeah, know, yeah. and I just totally. love how easy it is to work around it because it's so fast, yeah. and it's got a lot of a lot of pressure, you know, that thing clamps tight. So, yeah, I've just been setting up my shop. Uh, I got a vertical cutting bandsaw my grandpa's friend had, and he just needed to get it out of the shop, so uh, he gave it to me, actually. Oh, that's which sweet. was awesome. And so I've been using that. We wired up a switch for it, but it was actually a 12-volt switch, not a 120, so it blew up, which <laughs> was terrifying. Uh, we were yeah, actually that. talking about how awesome it was. You know, we're just sitting working in there chatting, oh, yeah, this bandsaw is so sweet. And then I go to turn it off, and it's <laughs> it blew up on me. So put a new switch in. That tool is awesome, too. You yeah, know, just to put song. it in and leave it is and it's quiet and clean, and it's just fantastic. I've been working in the grinding room, which is awesome. Like, a grinding room is a real... Oh, man. Just... It's a it's a small room, you know. I, I can't bring big stuff in there, but it's a beautiful... It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. How big is it? Um... What? Maybe, like, four or five by... Five by nine or something like that. Cool. It was kind of a closet that was there already, and we've repurposed it. Yeah, that sounds kind of perfect. I've, oh, yeah. I'm just in my um, parents' two-car garage. I've got, like, half the garage. Um, and dust is a huge problem. I, it, gets, it, go, it gets over everything. So what we did recently, since I can't really have, like, a separate grinding room, 
is we took a big sheet of like canvas and we um, put that up. It's just kind of a barrier between my part of the shop and the rest that we kind of want to keep clean. Yeah. That seems to work pretty well. Yeah, that's a good idea. It also makes like a fairly nice backdrop when I'm shooting video for my YouTube YouTube videos. Oh, it's kind yeah, of like a Better clean white the... backdrop. Yeah, for sure. So I, I want to talk about that later too. I want to get deeper into the whole YouTube side of things because you've got an awesome YouTube channel. But Thank you. First, I want to talk about this fantasy knife some more because All right. I've been looking at it on Instagram. I mean... The sheath, the whole thing is so incredible. So you didn't do any profile grinding on it? Uh, I profiled the edge, but that was it. I profiled the edge and sharpened it. Um, Crazy. That was all I... Yeah, I, the entire profile, except for the edge, is forged to shape. The flats, the fuller, the bevels, forged to shape. Um, It was really tricky. Like, it's kind of got like one of those you know, skull crusher spikes on the, on the butt. That was so hard to forge. Like, I bet I don't, I don't consider myself a blacksmith, but that was, that was, I mean, it was, it was fun, but it was really tricky, but I certainly want to do more knives like that where it's fully forged to shape just because I mean, grinding, it's like, eh, it's easy. It's easy, but it's not fun. You know, I'd rather take two, three times the time just to forge it to shape. All right, that's just more fun for me. Yeah, yeah, forging is way more fun, but it's expensive. Totally. I mean, you're running propane, right? Yeah, propane. Pro propane's so expensive, man. Yeah, I mean, that's it's... why. Like, yeah, my pro my pro like forging to shape is really awful. Actually, I need to work on that, but. Yeah, propane is just so expensive that it's cheaper for me to grind in my profile more rather than fiddle with it a lot. But yeah. I've seen I've seen a couple of those forged to sharp knives. Um, Colony Knife Co. did a really awesome one oh, with the forged so integral bolster, and but it, I've, most of the ones I've seen have been really small. So I can just imagine that a knife that big forged to sharp was crazy. It was a lot of fun. Like, how long did that take in the forge? Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, I wasn't really keeping track. Let's see. Well, I did it. I forged it over two days because I had to stop the first day. Um. Yeah, I really couldn't tell you. Yeah, but I mean, days, like, that's that's a lot of forging. But it, was like it is the best a, part. A couple hours, probably. Oh, yeah. Maybe, maybe five hours. I don't know. Maybe less. I don't know. Something like that. That's a pretty good chunk of time to spend forging, though. I mean, I can totally. do a knife in... Like, if I'm doing an 8-inch chef's knife, it's going to take me... I don't know, somewhere between 1 or 2 hours. Yeah. So, 5 hours is... That's substantial. Maybe, it may have been less than that, but it was it was a real bear to, like... All the f curves in the handle, right? Because it really hooks around your hand. And, like, that spike on the end that was all super difficult to forge and you know i really wanted everything to be smooth and even and didn't want any deep hammer marks or anything so that was kind of a fun challenge yeah i mean it, it looks fantastic and then the sheath the sheath just complements it perfectly i mean 
Like, you must have some type of collection of leather dyes because that whole thing oh, yeah. just came out awesome. I've got all, all the colors. So but, how did you get into leatherworking then? Is well, that something that grew from the knife making? Yeah, knife's got to have a sheath, right? So, I mean, most of the knives I make are everyday or outdoor knives. Um, I mean, I do, you know, I do pretty much everything, but um, most of my things are everyday knives or outdoor knives, and those all need sheaths. Um, I'm not really big into the Kydex thing. That's just not my style. I like leather. So that's just where the leather sheaths started out. And then I'm really bad at, like, doing, like, stamp designs on leather. I'm really bad at that. Um, so I started playing with carving, right? And different people carve differently. So I don't know if what I'm, the way I do it is like an actual way of, you know, whatever. But the way I do it is I get the, is I get the leather a little wet and I pretty much just draw on there with like a, it's kind of like a tool with like a kind of smooth, kind of almost pointed kind of flat. And it's kind of hard to explain, but. Kind of just draw it on there, and then I go in I, with a lot of pressure. I kind of push down um, the areas that I kind of want to be pushed back to give some relief to the, you know, what I'm trying to carve, right? Um, yeah. I, once I've got that all, I don't know, I just take a couple passes, recess everything, just kind of makes things pop and have texture. And I don't know. I really enjoy the carving. I mean, it's... Yeah, I don't know. It's a lot of fun. It's yeah, well, really it always creative. turns out nice. Yeah. And it's a perfect complement to your style of knives, too. Like, I think that, may, it, to me, those pictures that you're putting on the sheath look a lot better than any stamped pattern could. Yeah, you I know? think so, too. I mean, I think there's different knives and different sheaths where different things look good. Like, those, like, what's it? Like, the like the basket weave patterns, those can look really good. And I've seen people who can do really good stamped patterns or designs or whatever, but I can never make those look good. And I, I want to practice it and try it and try and figure out how to make that look good. But the carving is pretty easy. I mean, you can carve pretty much whatever you want on there. I think there's a lot of freedom for creativity and whatever. Like, I'm not an... I, I can't draw, I can't paint, I can't do any of that. You know, I have horrible handwriting, but for some reason when I'm doing it on leather, it looks good. It, it's, I can't, it's like weird, I can't explain it. Hey man, some things click. Yeah, I guess. Well, it does, it does really look awesome. And I guess, you know, maybe leather is just, it's, it's kind of a simpler drawing, almost. And yeah, it's, it's easier to it's add depth. Definitely. You know, I can't draw because I can't use shadow properly. Yeah. Um, but I guess it helps if if it's a simpler to plane to work on for your shadow. Yeah. But no, I mean, that, that like monster that you drew on the sheath, I love that. The kind of the idea. and the fangs. Yeah, the idea I kind of had with that. And I, I don't think I captured it as well as it could have been captured, but... So the ideal, the first inspiration was like um, the Dungeons and Dragons um, 
uh, 3.0 monster manual has like this big monster eye in the middle of it. And that, that got me thinking. So that's why, that's where that idea for that eye in the middle of it came from. It's kind of like the center. And then I started thinking and I was like, what do I want this sheath to, I don't know, remind people of or to remind me of anyways. And I was thinking it'd be kind of cool if I could take a bunch of different aspects of different monsters, like individual aspects, and incorporate them without making like one, you know, one recognizable thing. Like the idea, the way I thought of it was like all the monsters from your nightmares, all like you can see individual parts, but you can never see the whole thing, if that makes sense. Like you've got, you know, you can see the tentacles, you can see the eye, you can see the teeth, but you can never get the whole picture. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I haven't had that many nightmares. I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. But that's like, I was just, I thought that'd be kind of cool. That's yeah, the idea I just wanted to run awesome. off with. But this sort so, of fantasy knife, it's like, this is, I feel like these fantasy knives are the things that's missing from what I normally do, right? Like, nobody's saying, hey, Liam, you want to make me a custom fantasy knife? It's all like, hey, dude, I need a hunter or I need a kitchen knife, right? It's like, but these gnarly, crazy, impractical, you know, art fantasy knives, I love them so much. They're so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't done much of that. I mean, I've really just been on kitchen knives for the last year or so I've just been yeah hard hard on these really functional knives with no frills I've got a you know you've got a much more uh organic style almost you know and I think that's also why that leather carving looks so good with your knives because it's more organic than a pattern would be and then I I like you know I do a lot of really minimalist simple knives you know and that's probably why those really fancy woods haven't drawn me in yet. But yeah. this Damascus and Mai is going to get a, an iron wood and an iron wood handle with a really thin brass spacer, which I oh, think sweet. will just look classy. Like, um, like with the brass at the front of the handle? No, it's going to be about a third of the way down. Cool. The reason I say that is because I did a kitchen knife and I had like a copper spacer at the front. And it was thin, and that was probably the most frustrating thing I've done in a long time because it just kept bending, and I couldn't oh. get it to, like, sit flat. Yeah, that fought me. That's, that's why yeah. I say. Ask if it was there. Oh, well, good thing that wasn't my plan. That would have been frustrating. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, well, and all the, all the material for this handle is going to be uh, – it's all repurposed, so it should be a good selling point, I'm hoping. Oh, yeah, that's cool. But now seeing Damascus, like, now it's all I want to do now. I mean... Oh, yeah, totally. Like, this is only the second Damascus knife I've ever made, but... And I, you know, just kind of stepped away from it to let my skills build over time. Um, Because when you're spending that much time on the material, or and that's why I don't do fancy woods either, because when you're spending that much money and time on your materials, then you really want your skills to be on par. And so up to this point, I've felt like, you know, my skills weren't really at a point where I need fancy materials, but now now I'm kind of getting excited excited about doing more 
uh, what's the word? Yeah, I guess fancy, more fancy things. Yeah. Also, when you screw up with fancy materials, it hurts your wallet a lot more. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> I know my oh, yeah. wood probably costs uh, a couple, you know, a few a few dollars a handle. You know, right? Not, it really hurts when you break 40. like. Right, like a thirty or forty dollar set of scales out the window. Oh. That hurts. <laughs> I haven't made a knife with. I haven't made like a full tang knife since. Oh, it might have been over a year now since I've done one of those. I haven't. I don't even know if I like. I never really got good at that. I can never figure out where to put the pins. So generally, what I do. Is I. Generally do. Like three pins. Or generally what I'll do is I'll put one that's a little bit in from the front of the handle, and then one that's kind of a little bit up from middle, and then generally like two at the back. I'll do one that's kind of like in the point of the bird's beak, because most of my handles have like a bird's beak, and then another that's kind of like, I don't know, in that back corner, if that makes sense. So do you eyeball these, or do you have some type Uh, of measurement? It's partly by eye and partly with um, like a compass or whatever, whatever it's called, hmm. a compass, whatever, or calipers, just to kind of find where middle is. But yeah, a lot of it's kind of by eye. Well, yeah, I know. I'd, I actually didn't start spending time on my handles. Handles were always an afterthought to me until... Uh, my first custom order, I spent a bunch of time thinking about it, and now, you know, the handle gets just as much thought as the blade. Yeah. And lately, I've been doing a lot of octagonal handles, and that's been... It's tough. I mean, octagonal handles are really tough to make look good. But once you get it, it's really easy. You know what I mean? So I've got a measuring system and a layout... A system of layout lines that I've got figured out now that make... um octagonal handles really easy for me and so i'm really excited to be producing more to put on the website which i've been trying to trying to get figured out the website is a whole nother side of things but there's a lot of design that goes into the website you know it's kind of like a knife uh there's a there's just a lot of design and design and the skills to make the design happen are two totally different ball games so how do you go about designing your knives uh, sometimes I just kind of wing it, but, well, most of the time what I'll do is, uh, I will draw out an idea. Like, I'll just sketch it out, figure out kind of the rough shape, the curves, whatever. And then, but then when I forge it, I, or when I do whatever part, right? I don't try and make it match exactly. I just kind of... Because the drawing is a two-dimensional thing on a piece of paper, right? When I actually make it, I use the ideas from the drawing and just the way it kind of feels in my hand and the way it looks to kind of get it the rest of the way there. So, I mean, I don't really stick to my drawings that much usually. It's just kind of a, a starting point, an idea, a concept, right? And then yeah. I let things kind of flow, I guess. 
Yeah, I think that's a that's pretty similar to how I do it too. Um, my favorite knife design that I've ever made, oh, pardon me, that my my favorite profile was actually supposed to be a Santoku that was for a custom order, and I burned the edge and had to reprofile it, and um, that's well, actually no, that's a lie. So I had to reprofile it, and I finished that knife up and sold it, and then another guy ordered. A, a copy of that knife he's like yeah I want this profile and so I went to make that but I burned the edge on that one and ended up having to thin it out even more and I, you know I put that one off to the side but that ended up being my favorite so it was sort of a double mistake that led to my favorite knife design that I make now and that's going to be um, a production model or it's going to be made to order and it's always going to be available on the website you can order one anytime and I'll make it it's called the Type A, which I think is a pretty good name. I don't know. But, yeah, that's just kind of a funny story about, you know, how I came about my favorite knife design. Double mistake. It's it's the best way to do things. Yeah, happy accident. Oh, yeah. Twice. <laughs> so, but, yeah, and then other knife designs I have um, have just been completely freestyle. But I noticed that when I when I make a knife with no design, just to try and jog my own creative, you know, ideas, they end up a lot more round, like, you know, with obtuse tips and everything is a lot less sleek than when I draw it out. And I don't know why that is, but it's kind of a quirk. Although I'm noticing that I'm sliding into sort of a a style and I'm making I feel like I'm making really similar knives and I you know sometimes I wish that I could I could get out of that and so I think that a lot of young makers as we grow into our our own styles and whatnot will will get stuck making the same thing so how do you personally uh shake things up and you know jog your creative juices uh well recently I haven't uh had really a problem with that there was a time where i made this one knife it was kind of a hunter and then suddenly boom that's all everybody wanted right the same thing happened with this kind of cleaver thing i made a while back but recently i've had just the knives people want from me just a whole bunch of it's been completely different like somebody's like hey uh i want a dagger or like hey let's make an axe or whatever kitchen knife so i mean generally my orders have you know are all kinds of different things um and then when i'm just making making something because i need you know something to work on um generally i end up trying things i haven't tried before like i was showing my friend how to forge a knife uh and I was making one too because I just needed something to work on to, you know, to show what was going on. And instead of my normal shape, it was kind of like a short kind of recurve skinner with like a a handle that tapers as it goes back instead of like, like it had a little bit of a palm swell, but then it tapered towards the back instead of like widening out. Um, I don't know. It's just, I don't really have a problem with making the same knife over and over again. I oh. guess I just kind of naturally do different things. 
And your orders keep you on your toes a little bit. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Uh, I just started having that recently where I noticed all my knives are coming out looking the same. But I like it. Like, I think I like that I'm developing a style, and I think that it's something everybody does. Yeah, totally. But sometimes I just wish to break out of that, you know, cycle a little bit. Yeah, I but, agree. It's really important to try new things and do things that you normally wouldn't, right? Things that are something you would never have done that are just going to push you and make you grow as a maker. Yeah, for sure. That's why I took on a custom order a little while ago. The guy wanted a synthetic handle, and so I did. It was uh, not a proper frame handle. You know, I didn't do a bunch of hidden pins and as complicated as frame handles can come, you know. I think you've done a couple of them. But I cut out, you know, a frame from G10, and then I slapped pieces of, uh, I don't know, Jance Knife Supply calls it fantasy marble, but it's just some swirly acrylic something like that piece and so I slapped those on either side and shaped it up into an octagonal handle and it came out really cool and so that was a nice departure from the wood that I usually uh, tend to you know gravitate towards but then after doing that I realized I never want to do that again but I really enjoyed it yeah I did something kind of similar um my first attempt at kind of a frame handle thing was for a kind of a hunting knife for a guy in Texas. Um, I think there's a video. Of, oh, yeah, there's a video of that on my YouTube, which actually blew up. Um, but anyways, it was like a black micarta frame with like desert tan G10 scales. It's pretty fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I've seen some of your frame handles do get pretty... You you do that, you know, occasionally here and there. I've now. done some of them are. I think I've done two frame handles. The other one was this, Sanmai, Bowie knife, that I'm super happy with. It had, um, it was like, the kind of, Sanmai where it's, um, with nickel. So it was three layers of ADCRB two with, uh, thin layers of nickel between them. So it all etched, you know, jet black with like a white line on each side. I love that effect. And then it had like steel, a steel guard, a steel spacer, and a steel frame that was all forged textured. And then I had two copper spacers, copper liners, and then ironwood scales. And actually, I use a lot of this ironwood. This is ironwood from a friend's boat. Um, it was made in 1951. I believe in Cordova, Alaska, which is not too far from here. So it's pretty cool. So, I mean, it's, it's 70-year-old, you know, it's ironwood from a 70-year-old boat. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now, and that is an awesome knife. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Thanks for reminding me. But, no, this knife is awesome. And I remember this, you had just finished this last time you came on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what we talked about. It's actually really yeah. annoying. So that knife went to a guy in Australia. But the problem is, I don't know what it was. Maybe he was like, I think he um, didn't get his paperwork in on time or something. So the knife was out for delivery. But then, like, still, it's back on hold in Melbourne. Like, this is like, you know, since like, 
I, I don't know, I finished the knife in like August and sent it out to him. And now it's what, January and he still doesn't have it? Really? Yeah, I'm pretty grumpy about that. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, I probably just need to, I don't know, try and call whatever and figure that out. But ah, I feel so bad about it. I mean, I just want that guy to get that knife. Yeah. Well, did you get paid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, PayPal. PayPal makes me so mad because um, because I sell it regularly, it, which, you know, is no fault of my own, might I add. But because, you know, my payments aren't regular, it uh, it likes to sometimes hold my money until the knife gets there. So I have to, like, put my tracking information into PayPal, and when Canada Post says it's arrived, then it it releases my money to me. But it's really frustrating because I need to order supplies, and I'm just sitting here staring at the money waiting for me, you know? Yeah, that's that I interesting. can't have it. That never happens Do, for me. Well, you're you on PayPal, too? Uh, Yeah. Well, I mean... I don't have PayPal. I think you, I don't know. It's my dad's PayPal, so it just goes through that. Oh. He's probably get... not signed up as a business. No, yeah, he's not. Yeah, see, I, I shouldn't have told it it was a business. Yeah. But, oh well. That's probably the problem. That's fine. At least the last knife that I sold, I had no money at all and no belts, so it gave me my money right away. And now that I'm kind of okay, it's holding it, so I, I guess I'll take what I can get. And that knife just finally got there. That was, that took almost a month to ship. I mean, not as bad as yours, but that was, you know, that poor guy was so excited. So I'm glad he got his. And yeah, I'm out of custom orders now. So that's kind of exciting and scary. And, you know, I was, I've always been looking forward to being caught up on orders. And now that I don't have any more, it's kind of a lot sadder than I expected. So yeah, just take it as an opportunity to. Just take it as an opportunity to do something new, something different that you normally wouldn't do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to get some knives together. I'm hoping to send some to uh, Knifeware, which is a knife store. You know, it's got a couple locations around Canada. And he said that he'd like to see some of my knives. And so we're planning on meeting up sometime. But with COVID, I don't know when that'll be. Although if I have a couple knives sitting around, I might offer to mail them to him and then you know we could talk on a zoom call or something and he can check them out but if he likes them there's a chance that they may be sold in the store which would be i mean just awesome but i don't know we'll yeah, we'll see cool. what he thinks of them but i've got one knife done ready to go to him or you know ready for him to check out i don't know if i'll be sending them or not and then this little damascus knife i'm probably gonna send him uh, I've got another one forged and heat treated ready to grind that I plan to send him. And then I think I want to do one more with a western style handle to show a little bit of range. But yeah, fingers crossed because that would be an awesome business opportunity. And just totally. take some of the pressure off. But we'll see about that. Now speaking of business, how are you selling your knives? You're just through Instagram right now? Yeah, it's through Instagram or... If people get my email uh, or people, you know, that just know me, you know, are in town, know who I am. Yeah, but pretty much Instagram. Instagram's the big one. So how do you, 
how do you get you know how do you attract your customers what what type of marketing strategies are you trying to use on instagram here oh well i mean i don't think about it that much i just kind of i guess i put knives out there and i'll i like to say at the beginning of my post i'll either say spoken for or available just to you know to keep people into i am selling knives right and then uh i've noticed that it kind of is like i've noticed that because i do all my stories right and try and really show what i'm always working on right i think that helps people because they understand more of you know how much work i'm actually putting in and it gets people interested in projects that i'm working on um yeah i don't know i don't really think about marketing strategies or anything i just kind of yeah i don't know just people i guess just want knives sometimes oh yeah no all my orders come from word of mouth so you know, one person will get their knife, they put it on their story, and then, you know, their grandma orders a knife. And But the last guy that I sent a knife to didn't post it, or the, I guess two got two, you know, the last two people that I sent haven't posted anything. So I'm kind of dried up, but I'm hoping that these last two knives I sent out will drum up a little bit of business. Now, Instagram. Let's talk about Instagram for a second because I'm so mad at Instagram. I'm just absolutely upset. So how's how's your reach going on your Instagram? Uh, it's not super great right now. Like, not at all. What? Well, I mean, it, I, was... I think some people are doing worse than I am. But let's see. Because like a couple weeks ago, I had a couple posts in a row. Actually, I had quite a few posts in a row. Like, I don't know, for about the last two months almost, I've had most of my posts don't reach. Or you know how it says, um, like, this many accounts reached and then the percentage that weren't following you that seen it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, most of my posts were saying 1, 2, 5% weren't following you. So I'm getting, like, three or four impressions from hashtags, which was really uh, frustrating because I... I've just stalled out on followers. And then lately I've just started posting every day at the same time for the last week or so. And it's finally giving me just a little bit. I think I'm getting now like 15% weren't following me, which is a little bit better. Yeah, that's But better. it should be over 50. Yeah. It it For me, it doesn't seem like my reach is too bad. I mean, I've been getting less likes and less you know people aren't it doesn't seem like people are seeing my recent posts as much as some of my other things but it's not not super drastic i guess yeah no i've heard a lot of knife makers though are having a real issue since the last update yeah i've heard that too and so i mean i put out a thing on my story I read some articles, and so I'd just like to give a little bit of advice because I'm obviously a master, so all you other young makers, um, it seems like the trick is post every day uh, who handmade knives came on the podcast, Jesse who, and he's he's one of, like he's just great at Instagram. It seems like his followers are just climbing great. He posts twice a day at the same time every day, 
And so he gave me some advice and it was post every day, um, you know, so consistency. And I was reading about the Instagram algorithm tries to promote promote pages who seem to make meaningful connections with people. So if you comment a lot, you get comments, shared posts, tagging, all that really helps your account's view in the eyes of the algorithm. And then don't use too many hashtags. Just make sure that your hashtags are relevant and are reaching the people that you want because Instagram kind of flags people that use 30 hashtags every day. And also if you're using the exact same hashtags every single time, Instagram will kind of think you're spam. So yeah, I've just been working really hard at Instagram lately and it's uh, it's pretty good. But I guess... Oh, there goes my echo. Um, I guess Instagram can't be nearly as hard to grow on as YouTube. So let's talk about your YouTube for a second, because we're, you know, we've been talking about knives for so long, but your YouTube channel is really fantastic. So the projects that you make on your YouTube, do you make projects, or do you ever make projects specifically for YouTube, or are you just making a video of what you're working on? Uh... I mean, there's projects that I specifically want to make videos for, but I wouldn't say that I just make things for YouTube. I make it, you know, I either make it for a customer or I make it for myself. Um, and some things I'll just decide, hey, I'm going to film this, right? Um, like this collaboration I'm working on, we're making a video for that. And like my sword, that's just too cool to not make a video for, right? Uh, I've got to make some stainless sanmai chef knives assuming i can get that to work so that's cool i'm gonna make a video for that but really just um whatever's convenient for me with the youtube thing i mean yeah whatever i really want to want to put up there all right and part so, of yeah, it is pretty oh go ahead oh go ahead sorry and like part of it is I just don't don't want to have so many projects um, that I'm filming, right? Like during the summer when I'm off, I would put out one video a week. And that was easy because I was working so much and it wasn't so much of a hassle to, you know, have multiple projects or, you know, whatever that I was filming. But now that I don't really have as much time, I've just got to, um, space things out and upload less and I just don't have the time to screw around with cameras and whatever all the time so I'm not putting out as much YouTube content as you know as, as I'd like to yeah but I hear it's, you it's interesting one of my videos from seven or eight months ago it was that one frame handle that first frame handle knife I was talking about for some reason that video exploded like, I think it's got, like, 400,000 views right now, which is a whole lot for me. Um, and pretty much my subscribers tripled in, like, a week, which is pretty yeah. crazy. Um, but, yeah, I just, like, I don't even know why that video took off, but it just did. I mean, I guess YouTube just started recommending it. That was pretty cool. Yeah. 
So why do YouTube? Sorry, what? Why why do you make the YouTube videos? Uh, I guess I I kind of like the whole filming and editing thing. That's kind of fun. I also like being able to put up, you know, videos of how I do things. It's a little different than like my Instagram stories where I'll like show in progress pictures. I just kind of like being able to show me doing it. And YouTube is kind of easy for that. Uh, it would be kind of nice to get enough of a following on YouTube where there's, you know, some amount of ad revenue or whatever. Um, that would be nice. Uh, I doubt I'll ever get there, but it would be, be pretty cool. I guess it's just it's just a fun thing, I guess. I enjoy it. Oh, yeah. So it's a labor of love. Because YouTube, YouTube seems like so much work. I mean, I can't get into it. It's just so much work. Yeah, there's a know? lot of work for sure. And I hate computers. So the idea of spending that time on the computer editing just terrifies me. I can yeah. barely use a printer, so I don't know about a camera. I mean, the whole thing just scares me. So I got a podcast instead. It's a little bit easier. But it's cool to hear it. You know, I, I like your attitude towards YouTube. Kind of laid back, but, you know, you're into it. And so I think that's really cool. Yeah. It's... Now. Okay, go ahead. Oh, well, I know why you make YouTube videos, but why do you make knives? I mean, knife making is a lot of work, too. And honestly, most of the steps suck until you're done. I mean, but when you're doing it, you're not thinking about how fun this hand sanding is. So what brings you back into the shop every day? Uh, oh, let's see. Okay. I mean, I guess it's an addiction. Uh, yeah. I really like knives. I've always liked knives. Um, I'm just kind of, my, we, my family's always, you know, from a young age, we've always gone camping and we've been outside. I've always been wearing a knife. So I guess I, you know, have this attachment to knives. I like knives. And then if I wasn't making knives, I'd be making something else. Um, you know, I have to be doing something, you know, with my hands, connecting my hands with my head and working on something physically. So I guess knives were just the thing I stumbled on and now I'm just completely hooked on making knives. Uh, also, just like the forging, I love it so much. I mean, I guess the whole thing about the materials and the the feel, the way... You know, the way it all works, it's just fascinating to me. I love it. I'm not sure I can explain it more than that. Oh, that's a perfect explanation. I know exactly. Like, I feel, I feel everything that you just said. That's perfect. I couldn't put it better. I couldn't agree more. So, would you consider yourself a process or a product-oriented person? I'm definitely you know, what's a... the real reward? It's, I'm definitely a process person. But I mean, I mean, I obviously love having this finished project and being able to hold it and look at it and be like, I made that? That's pretty cool. You know, like this sword, I've got it on my desk right now. Like pretty much every day I'll pick it up, you know, stab some orcs with it, you know, swing it around and be like, that's cool and put it down. It's like, so I obviously love the finished product, but like there's something 
what really speaks to me is being out in the shop, you know, working on something with music blasting. That's just, it calms me down. It makes me think about what's important. You know, all the, the problems in the world, all the things that clutter my mind, that can all go away. And it can be me, some really good music, and whatever the project is I'm working on. And I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm a pro I'm a product oriented person. I mean I live just to just to see what I did today, you know? Um and I just look forward to having more done, not to doing it. But I definitely know what you feel you know, what you mean about just being at peace while you work. Until your spalted maple scales break. But right, other exactly. than that, you know, you're at peace. Right. Um As soon as it breaks though cools off you know it's (laughs) like stomping and cursing and ah yeah yeah but no you know busy hands make a calm mind but it does keep you busy and keeps you keeps you constantly solving problems i mean the whole thing is just great totally now i've got the most important question of the episode to ask you all right now, you mentioned blasting some really good music, and I know from your Instagram stories that you love that classic rock music. Why don't you listen to hip-hop? Oh, it's just not my thing. I just like, you know, like 80s hard rock, metal. That's just my thing. I love it. It's funny. I'll always be out in the shop, and then like some song I really like will start playing, and I'll just like start dancing and, you know, just rocking out in the shop singing trying to trying to sing through a mask right yeah my dad's like liam you have the worst singing voice ever and i fully agree with him it doesn't stop me it doesn't stop me i just feel sorry for my neighbors <laughs> yeah it's like, worse like, than the hammering oh yeah like some days you can hear my music like three houses down the street no one <laughs> ever complains no my neighbors like me i'm very fortunate awesome no that's a that's a valid point and I definitely rock out hard while I'm in the shop too, for sure. You know, especially, yeah, when the right song comes on, I listen to it through my earbuds. But that's just because I like to have the, the, you know, hearing protection in all the time. It's just convenient. But no, those are, that's great. Yeah, music. I listen to lots of audio books. I listen to podcasts on the Makery Network because all those shows are great. Um... Sorry, I went off on a tangent, and I don't know where I was. We talked about music, which was a tangent already. I'm trying to get back to the stem. All right, here we go. I made it back. Sorry, guys. It's it's getting pretty late here. It's already 8 o'clock. It's way past my bedtime. Uh, I'm just a little bit slow tonight, so bear with me. Liam, where where are you trying to take this whole knife company? You know, where what are your future plans? So... I would love to be able to do this as like a full-time job, right? That would be the ultimate end goal, working for myself, um, making knives, tools, and whatever. But that, it's probably not super likely that I'm going to be able to immediately jump into doing that. Um, When I get out of high school, um, I have to go to Finland and do six months in the army. I'm a Finnish citizen, and I need to do that in order to keep up my citizenship. Um, really? So after I do that, 
uh, really my plans after that are kind of, they're not locked in. Because I don't know if I'm going to stay in Finland. I don't know if I'm going to come back here. Uh, I'll probably end up coming back here, but I honestly don't know. Um, something I would like to do if I can't make the knife-making thing happen immediately is I'd like to maybe go to school to be a welder. And I'd like to, I don't know, weld something. I don't know, maybe boats or something else, whatever I can find. But, you know, welding's just another thing. You know, you've got hot metal, and you're working with your hands, and you're solving problems, right? So that's another thing I'd, I'd love to do if I have to work for somebody else and I have to have, you know, a real job and do that at least, you know, for a while and then switch to either part-time or full-time making knives. That would be the dream. Oh, yeah. Then uh, that's pretty, that's a pretty good plan. But, <clears throat> sorry, I just want to circle back to the whole. So, you, it's, uh, it's a mandatory six-month conscription? Yeah, so in Finland, there's a, mandatory draft where the way I believe it works um hopefully I don't get this wrong but <laughs> the way I believe it works is you either have to do six months in the military or like 11 months in like civil services whatever that is um so personally I think I'll probably enjoy doing the six months in the army it's something I'm looking forward to um it just seems like, you know, of good life experience. And then I'll, after that, I'll have something in common with, like, all Finnish guys, you know. Um, and right now, I don't... I speak Finnish, but not well. Like, it's really bad. So when I go, hopefully I can become fluent again. Huh. So you've, you've always just grown up with the knowledge that that's something that you're going to do, hey? Yeah, I haven't always thought about it so much until, you know, fairly recently. But, yeah, that's always been something that I need to do if I want to keep my citizenship. So why do you want the citizenship? Uh, I like Finland. I like Finnish culture, Um, I guess. I mean, we've got friends and family there, so I just want to be able to go back and spend time there, live there if I wanted to. Yeah. I guess it's so just, it, it's important to me. Yeah, I mean, your her heritage is, for sure, such an awesome thing. So, no, that's just, like, wild to me, you know? I mean, living in Canada, we've obviously never done that, so it's something that, I don't know, just never crosses, it almost never crosses my mind that that's something people do, you know? Yeah. But that's pretty cool. And I, yeah. I mean, Finland's pretty peaceful. I feel like your odds of having, you know, right? I don't yeah, see Finland going to, to war stay. anytime soon. Yeah, they're trying pretty hard to stay out of any, any trouble. Yeah, yeah. So is it like a dual citizenship? You have American and, or were you born? Yeah, in I was. I was born here, but yeah, oh, yeah I've so got a it's... dual citizenship. No, that's wild. I mean, that's pretty cool though. And it does kind of give you some direction and some time to, some time to think. Yeah, it also gives me know. some options. Like if I wanted, I could go to school in in Europe or. Um. Yeah. There's just kind of yeah. more more doors that are open to me. Yeah, it kind of opens up a lot. 
Yeah, I feel oh, very lucky. That's super cool. Man, you know, that's something that nobody's ever said when I asked that question. You know, usually they say, oh, I'm going to go to school or I'm going to go make knives, but usually they don't say I'm going to go to the Finnish military. Yeah. So that came as a real shock to me when you said that, but that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So now we're coming down to the end of the episode, and we've covered almost all the business things that you can cover. You know, we've covered a lot of your blacksmithing stuff. Now... I just want to know who you are, man. You know, what What do you do when you're not making knives? Uh, well, when I'm not doing knives or school, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I like getting outside, going camping, uh, kayaking and camping, getting out, exploring the outdoors here in southeast Alaska. Super beautiful. Um, it's real nice to get away from, you know, the internet, everything. Get away from all that. Uh... I play tennis. Uh, I like archery. Let's see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't do a whole lot. I don't play any video games. I don't uh, play any sports other than tennis. Oh, yeah. But yeah, the big things are, other than knives, are tennis and outdoor stuff. So, did you play video games before you got into knives? I did. Uh, I used to be really into video games, uh, very addicted, and then I found making things, and I realized this is a much better use of my time, and I enjoy this much more, and I had to get rid of all my games and make a decision that I wasn't going to play any more video games, because I know that if I have video games and if I play them, I will get addicted. And I won't do anything else. Um, like if I'm at a friend with a friend or whatever, I'll play a game, whatever. But I'm not gonna have it on my phone or on my computer or anything. You're a social gamer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean I quit. Yeah, I stopped playing video games when I started making knives too. It just held no appeal. You know, right, it totally. seems like such a such a waste of time. And now that I have this, it feels rewarding. You know. Yeah. Totally. So yeah, once you discover something better, I don't know, video games lose their luster. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and I guess you started talking about normal teenager stuff, and it reminded me of a point I wanted to bring up a minute ago. When you talked about the peace of being in the shop and how it separates you from all your worries, all your mortal worries, um, that reminded me of, like, young makers were mostly teenagers. I mean, I sort of... Uh, generalize young makers is under 20 is sort of my you know line ish somewhere around there so there's a lot of social pressure on us and you know conscious or not but high school and you know friends and all that type of interactions there's just this constant social pressure on teenagers and it's something that everybody talks about all the time it's you know a pretty well-known thing and the shop is a complete separation from that. That's kind of my favorite thing about it, especially with the internet. I mean, when I'm not at the shop, I catch myself on Snapchat and stuff all the time. And that's why I made a point of not following anybody from school on Instagram, because when I'm looking at knives and enjoying that, I don't want to see you. I think of it as a business account, and so I use it for business stuff. 
But I love the shop as that separation from that, you know, constant social pressure that's on teenagers. You know, I don't need yeah. to think about what I'm wearing or, you know, being weird, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's just something that I thought of a minute ago. And I think that that's kind of the one of the best advantages of being a young maker. Yeah. I mean, uh, most of the time I just kind of, I'm kind of the same person all the time. I just don't really care if people think I'm weird or whatever. Because, I mean, that way I end up with, like, a few friends who know who I am and are like, yeah, that's cool. And everybody else stays the heck away, right? And I kind of like it that way. It's kind of nice. Yeah. That way I don't need to worry about trying to be a different person around anybody. Or trying to, you know, worry about different things or... Yeah, I know what you mean. And I do try to, I try to, you you know, be authentic and you know, attract authentic people. But I still feel sort of the pressure. Yeah. You know, but I do, I try to, yeah, just like you said. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of one of the beauties of being a young maker. You also mentioned, um, you know, going into it straight out of high school. Um and that's another beautiful thing about being a young maker is that time during high school to build your skills in business. And um, all all that's that, yeah, when you get out of high school, you sort of have some skills that you can fall back on and that you can build on outside of school. Yeah. And it gives sure. you an opportunity to go to school for what you like. So, it, you know, that's one of the other beauties is that you've discovered what you like before you have to decide where you want to go. Yeah. So can you think of any... Oh, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I didn't have anything no, we, important to say. We do this a lot. Um, can you think of any other advantages of being a young maker? Uh, Yeah, there's all kinds of advantages. I mean, uh, at least most of us, we don't need to, you know, always be... I mean, at least, you know, if we have a shop at your house or whatever, you don't need to worry about paying rent at least for most of us right and you've got generally some financial support from your parents um and it's just kind of you've got this usually supporting environment it's not like you're not trying to pick up this craft and trying to pay bills at the same time right and trying to yeah. make a life happen and trying to you know support a family and trying to whatever Right, you've got kind of a, a lot of freedom to do the things you want to do. So I think it's, I don't know, that's a pretty big advantage for most of us. For sure. No, 100%. Now, what about disadvantages? Because being young is an inherent challenge. Yeah, I mean, some disadvantages are... I mean, there's a time before I could drive. I can drive now, but before I could, I was always relying on my parents to, you know, drive me around when I needed to run to the store or whatever. And that's um, where I am now. Yeah, now I can drive. It's great. If I'm like, you know, I need to, if I need to go, I can just be like, hey, I'm taking the car. Bye-bye. And I'll leave. It's great. For like one sheet of sandpaper or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. Or if I need to go use my friend's bandsaw, 
or go, whatever. I can just take the car and go. Um, I don't know. Another disadvantage is um, well, I don't know. That's not really a disadvantage. I don't, there's really more, way more advantages than there are disadvantages to being a young maker. A hundred percent. And that's a conclusion we seem to come to every episode, which yeah. is nice. I mean, it's because being a young maker is great. Now, oh, totally. uh, one of the disadvantages I can think of right on the spot would be, and some, some adults would have this issue too. It sort of depends on, you know, your financial situation, but inherently for young makers you have no money to start with so if you decide one day you want to start it's hard to buy a bunch of tools at once whereas an adult if they have you know depending on their job they may be able to buy an anvil and a forge all in one go and start blacksmithing or buy a 2x72 to try it Uh, i don't know how many people have that you know a thousand dollars laying around but it's something that young makers definitely don't have Right. You know, so getting into it is tricky. But at the same time, then you have your parents' support to buy some of the little things. But I know this, it's hard to keep my shop stocked with, you know, paper towels and um, tape, uh, spray adhesive for my my disc sander, WD-40, like all those little things that you don't, you kind of forget to budget in. Sometimes it's hard to be able to keep yourself stocked with, you know, basic necessities like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and another challenge for young makers is building multiple skill sets at once. You know, you're trying to learn business and a craft and a... Well, I mean, you may not be starting to learn business, but eventually you're trying to, you know, grow your craft, learn a business, learn design, website design if you want a website... And so you're learning a lot of stuff at once, whereas an adult may have, you know, been doing handyman stuff around the house for years already. They kind of have basic skills when they come into it on day one. So there's a couple, you know, there's a couple hurdles to jump over as a young maker, but overall, it's definitely a lot better to start young. And we always recommend that here on the Young Makers podcast, ironically, unironically. Yeah, totally. Now, we're at an hour and 10 minutes, which is a nice that's a nice length for an episode. It's been a great conversation, and I would just hate to end it on a negative note with the disadvantages of being a young maker. So, Liam, I'm going to leave it completely up to you on the spot to end this show on a positive note or, you know, bring up some wise, positive message for the listeners. Oh, a positive message. Oh, boy. I'm not a very positive person. Let's see. Oh, man. I have no clue. Time's ticking. You better get going. Man. I don't know. I guess if we're going to talk about just the way the world's going right now, it seems like everything's kind of, you know, doom and gloom, all depressing and stuff. But, I mean, I guess, you know, things are going to get better, you know, at some point. So we can all look forward to... uh. Hopefully the world, you know, starting to make a, you know, be a little more sane. Yeah, I guess. There's a COVID vaccine. Yeah, they've got the COVID vaccines coming out. So hopefully it shouldn't be too long before things can start 
going back to some you know semblance of normal yeah yeah there's a new president in the united states yeah new president hopefully what day does he start oh man uh i don't know pretty soon sometime soon yeah hopefully that's gonna mean a little more sanity is gonna be going on fingers we can only hope we we can can only hope. hope so on that lovely note with that very positive message from our illustrious guest today I'm going to let you guys go, get back to work, stop sitting around and listening to this podcast. You know, you're not getting paid for this time. So thanks for listening, everybody. You've been listening to the Young Makers podcast on the Makery Network. We come to you every Tuesday morning for your drive to work, for your work day. Whether you're in the shop or wishing you were in the shop, you can tune in anytime. And if you're all caught up on the Young Makers podcast, you can check out the other shows on the Makery Network. They're all fantastic. There's new shows all the time. We got everything from woodworking to CNC to fabrication to knife making. Lots of knife making. So uh, whatever you're interested in, go and check it out for sure. And until next time, keep making, keep listening. Good night.